Welcome to The Property Perspective, a podcast by Knight Frank Australia. We'll share expert analysis from industry leaders, focus on key trends and forecasts, and bring you the latest topics shaping Australia's property market. Welcome, Lee. Thanks, Kate. Um, really lovely to have you here in Sydney and in Australia. I'd really like to, um, to talk today a little bit more around um, the landlord's tale in, in this conversation about returning to the office um, and work in general. I mean, there's, there's a huge amount to talk about, but um, but just focusing on the landlord, if, if I might, but um, and more so around experience and how um, how important that is now becoming. I'm interested to pick your brains, you know, globally, um, we're starting to, um, to really see and have done even pre-pandemic that importance of the landlord you know, really harnessing um, yeah. that. What have you seen around the globe, and is that is the emphasis of um, of experience a new thing as a result of pandemic, or or has that always been the, the case? I think it, the experience point is a lot like many other things that we've been talking about, whether it's workplace flexibility, uh, remote working. These are all things that were around before the pandemic. Mm. Uh, I think what's happened is the pandemic's exacerbated the attention on those particular issues and particularly the issue of experience. And I think that's been quite challenging for landlords around the world. You know, landlords have been really good around the world in delivering first-class buildings. But I think there is a dominant mindset still within the landlord community with some honourable exceptions, which are all focused on the delivery of high-quality bricks and mortar mm. and physical environment. And that's where they stop. Mm. And I think one of the challenges that they need to face up to is recognising how their customers' mindset's changing. Uh, and, and there's no doubt that the occupier's mindset has changed because the world of work was fundamentally altered through the COVID experience. Genes out of the bottle on remote working. I think landlords' early doors in the, uh, in, in the whole pandemic experience were very much in a position where they were they were still in a binary position. Mm -hmm. You know, you either work from home or you worked in the office. There wasn't a sort of mix of the two. I think that's dissipating. I think people are now recognising a hybrid or not, not so much particularly like, but a, a, a degree of flexible flexibility in people's working lives is going to come through. Mm -hmm. And as a result, landlords need to help their occupiers get their, their um, staff into the office. Mm -hmm. And the central way of doing that is actually looking beyond the physical environment and creating a vibrant experience that has a pull factor for, for people returning. What I've heard globally, uh, you know, particularly across some of the big sort of tech titans and you know, working either with their own space or, or, or with landlords is a lot of sensational sort of events and, and experiences that have been put on to entice people back. Uh, I think we need to be careful about that because I think you know, you can almost sort of damage expectations around what's required there and, yeah. and scare people. I, I don't think experience is sort of Lizzo pop concerts and, you know, uh, free pizzas and laundry, I think we talked about the yeah. other day, and laundry service, all that stuff. I I'm not sure it's about that. I think it's a bit more rudimentary than that, but I think it starts at a really important point, which is when landlords actually start to engage properly with their customers. Mm. We've still got a huge landlord community around the world, not so much uh, evident here from the people that I've spoken to, but um, around the world, people, yeah, landlords still don't talk about their tenants as customers. Yeah. yeah, I think even that optically is an important first step. What we've seen from the pandemic is that, you know, that if there is a, a cloud, a, a silver lining to the cloud that was COVID, it's probably that landlord and tenant have been talking a little bit more. There's been a, 
a more regular and open dialogue. Some of that dialogue has been really hard around rent abatements and you know, challenging things, but actually there's a dialogue and a partnership starting to formulate. And from that, I think you can get to a better place of understanding and actually create not just a generic experience that you think might work, mm. but something that's actually sort of um, it was a suit almost for the, for the end user. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's interesting how I think to that point about that relationship getting a bit bit closer, probably because as a landlord, also as an occupier has experienced this this event, yeah. um, they're not untouched from that. It's no longer Absolutely. just an event of, of their customers. They've now got um, personal experience Absolutely. and they're dealing with the same challenges. So, so how do you get people back um, to, to place? So... Um, so what, what, what sort of, you know, we talk about the, the third spaces and the end of trips, which arguably are a given, particularly here in Australia, mm. they've, been, they've been here for a while. Um, what about those human, human um, aspects and the, and the rise of that community um, manager or community activation? Is, is, that, is that the next focus point? Uh, I think it's absolutely a fundamental next step. Uh, I don't see a huge amount of evidence of it anywhere in the world. I think it is. I think it's been recognised as a as the next frontier. Mm. Um, yeah, the reality is that if you look for the, the use case for offices in a post-pandemic world, one of the central use cases is bringing people together mm. to instil culture and mm. community within organisations. Um, and there's this sort of sense that people just sort of come together and that that all happens. Mm. I think it has to be curated or supported yeah. certainly. And I think actually that starts from the moment you walk into the front of the front of the building. And you know, one thing I've noticed in this building and in, in, in other buildings in Australia is, you know, that front of house experience when you come into the building sort of sets the tone for what comes latterly mm. in, on, on the floors. And I think that's a really important step. That the, the whole point about community and connection, I think, is it's a social thing. Therein lies one of the challenges, however, because you know we're all different. You know, the diversity of humans is, is, is one of the great appeals, but how, how do you create an experience that's supportive of everybody? Mm. And I think that's, once we've got over the issue of actually creating community and supporting community engagement and, and, and enlightenment, if you want, um, we've then got to think about how does that land with particular people? So the diversity agenda, mm. you know, there's a big debate in the workplace world, as you all know, all around neurodiversity at the moment, how you deal with, with that. So. I think we've really got to start thinking firstly about enlivening and, and, and enabling community and then we've got to start recognising the diversity in that community. And that's one of the, I think one of the central themes that's come out of the presentations that we've done today here in Australia is you know, one of my central points from your space and sort of observations post-publication of your space has been the workplace is going to become ever more complex yeah. and you know, every occupier is going to come at this from a different perspective. And it just goes right back to my point around if you're the landlord, you know, You've got to get away from just treating everybody generically as a tenant. Mm -hmm. You've got to start using the word customer, and then you've got to start thinking every customer is different. Yeah, and it's going to be a really complex uh, environment to support and service. I think we're going to start seeing um, a, a lot more, um, I guess, evidence being brought in from the, the hospitality, and that's already happening. Yeah, we're trying to elevate that experience through even just down to the smiles that you're greeted with as you come through that building and and that's now an extension of the organisation and, and looking at that whole ecosystem of the building and, and 
this now aligns with who we are as an organisation, so so that that makes sense. I think actually, one, just on that, one of the things that's really important is trying to make that authentic. Mm. Um, you know, I, I don't think anybody wants to work in a building that's like something out of the Truman Show. You know, it's just heavily, heavily curated and sort of uh, yeah, in, in your face and actually not not real, not mm. not human. Um, I, I think that's something we're going to really have to think about. But um, the, the other thing, you, you rightly mentioned hospitality, and I think there is an interesting crossover between the hospitality skill set and what we need to see in offices. I, I believe firmly that offices are moving to a more operational footing, and they need to be they need to take lessons from operational real estate rather than sort of traditional long term held, you know, leasehold office office space. I think that dynamics occurring. The other thing that's been interesting. You know, I was last in Australia in the first edition of Your Space back in 2018, uh, and we talked then about sort of the rise of, uh, of the co-working phenomenon. Um, and, and what's been quite fascinating is they have, you know, the co-working operators really came at real estate from a different starting point, which is about the aesthetic, the design aesthetic, but then the service layer that you put across that space. And I think that's actually been, although at the time it was quite a tension between the conventional landlord and the operator, I think there's been a coming together of mindset there. And we we now even see around the world, you take London, you know, where I spent a large, or have spent a large amount of my time because I've not been able to get anywhere else. Um, you know, you, you're seeing a lot of the landlords now say, taking their cues from, from what the, the co-working operators did. And a lot of that is about that service layer that you talk about. Yeah, I think there's a, there's a real opportunity um, in, in arguably the B grades and the lower um, asset classes to elevate their products through experience yeah. and, and human layered, um, you know, welcome um, uh, rather than large capex to upgrade their facilities. Yeah. I'd, I'd agree with that. Obviously, location still matters. Um, you know, I think there is a there is a, undoubtedly a challenge in the great B part of the market. Every every market I go to around the world now appears to be sort of pretty polarized. Yeah. Lots of demand for top end, grade A, new and shiny space with all the, the bells and whistles. Big problems around sort of the overhang of grade B space. But I think you are right, that's rather the, it's not space you're going to generally knock down now because of the ESG agenda. So you've got to do something sort of innovative. Mm. I think that's service layer attention and actually really making that top class and actually bring those uh, spaces back yeah. into productive years. Yeah. And you mentioned ESG. Yeah. Um, obviously, the S and social, that, that clearly plays into what we've just spoken about. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I, I, I think we've seen, firstly, you know, on the um, environmental side of ESG, since we published Your Space in sort of a mid-2021, we've seen a real push on environmental credentials of buildings and pushing on that E of ESG. We're now starting to see the S start to come through from occupiers. Mm -hmm. So one of the case studies I've been talking about is Amazon and their HQ2 uh, in the US, which has you know, really sort of set the mark, I think, on community engagement and you know, both in terms of what's being built, why it's being built, once it's built, how it's being used mm -hmm. uh, by, by the wider community. So I think there's that angle. But I think the other thing that we're seeing a little bit around, around this whole issue is um, Businesses in thinking about, or sorry, landlords in thinking about the creation of their product are now starting to think about how, what impact does that have socially and how can we enhance in a positive way that impact. And a great example I've been using is a, a building called Roots in the Sky in, in, in the UK, in London, uh, where there's a sort of urban forest that's been put on the top of the building. Um, you know, it talks to sustainability, it talks to the environment, but actually what it's talking about is, is, is social engagement Absolutely. because it's a, it's a community facility. 
it's not owned by the tenants. You know, so effectively, there's a community park on top of an office building, mm -hmm. in, in essence. And, and I think that's just illustrative, I think, of where we're going. Yeah, look, you are starting to see a lot more products coming online that support outdoor working. So, um, you know, shelters that have meetings yeah. and they're yeah. technology enabled and they can go out within those campuses. Well, we, we've, we've seen that in London and, and again, other sort of core European markets, the use of open space, mm. um, you know, as a, as a mental well-being type sort of supporter mm. or facility that supports mental, mental well-being. We've seen a lot of that mm. uh, terrace space coming through, we've seen you know, fresh air, uh, access to fresh air becoming sort of the issue. Mm. Um, but it's interesting you use the word, the purpose word, and I think, I think we're going to start to see a little bit of split in the world of, of the occupier, mm. the world I sort of tend to dominate uh, in, and focusing on. We're going to see some occupiers that are particularly given where we're going with the macroeconomic environment over the next six months. I think we are going to see some occupiers that are playing a survival game yeah. uh, and they're going to be under a lot of pressure. Mm -hmm. uh, and you know, perhaps some of the things that we've started to see in terms of the wish list of occupiers are going to have to scale back for those types of organisations. But then you are going to see others that, you know, one of the, one of the things we've seen from the pandemic is a great focus on purpose. Yeah. As you say, and you know, companies that are actually trying to make sort of clear missions on, on, on their wider purpose, which is very appealing to a particular generation of worker, it's very appealing on the ESG agenda to investors, etc. Mm -hmm. And as a result, that purpose piece is starting to play through in, in terms of what they want from that space. And I think what you might see is a little bit of a, um, a decoupling, if you like, of, of occupier behaviour, one towards survival, one towards actually making a proper statement. Yeah, I've seen that. Um, absolutely here there's lots of lots of conversation around really making um, occupiers think about um, all of those aspects of work and what that means um, even down to their you know their hybrid you know policies and remote working policies yeah. and, and how much time in or out or otherwise and, and what that means for their purpose and giving them greater connection to to the wider organization and that point about the HQ that you've spoken about recently you know, and, and we're actually dispelling even even down to the terminology of the HQ. Yeah. No longer is it the ivory tower. It's actually a different, a different serves a different purpose. Absolutely, and I think that you know that's one of the things we are absolutely going to see is a resetting of HQ, what its role, what its form, what its function is. Um, there's plenty of examples of that emerging mm. around the world um, of, of, of resetting the HQ and, and, and recalibrating it for, for a different function. I, I think the HQ building has a huge role to play in people's well-being um, in terms of their connection, their engagement, their growth. Um, but I think one thing that we've all got to, you know, going back to where we started with landlords, we've got to get our heads away from this binary thinking that it's, the office is the only show in town. Mm. Um, as soon as we start to recognise that the world of work is more flexible uh, and that there are multiple settings and the office is one of them, so it isn't a threat to the office, it's just a change factor for the office. Once we start to get to that point, then I think we can progress with products that actually occupies what and actually supports purpose, supports diversity, supports all the things that are on the corporate agenda. You know, number one finding from your space was 90% of our, our survey respondents regard real estate as a strategic device for their business, something that supports, facilitates, or trade strategic transformation. There's no bigger transformational pressure for business today to get into a point of purpose and meaning beyond sort of the traditional sort of shareholder capitalism model that has dominated certainly office occupiers for, for many years. Yeah, and I think that's going to become more prevalent as, uh, as, the, as the months go on. We've certainly been seeing more of that and the lights arguably are turning on that you know, the office 
um, you know, to quote somebody recently, it's no longer a container of people. Right. It's far more than that. So, yeah. um, thankfully, so. Yeah, absolutely. So, Lee, what's happening globally? You know what, I think it's really interesting that we've been in this sort of like hiatus period where COVID has sort of forced us all to rethink a little bit. And as I'm, I've been stuck in London for the best part of two years, but I'm now starting to get out and about and, and look at what's going on around global marketplaces. And I think there's a commonality, a theme when I, when I talk to occupiers, which then obviously has an implication for the market. And that is that you know, occupiers were put into a great global workplace experiment, uh, not through their own choosing. Um, and people have had to respond to a very different working dynamic, which is changeable as well over the course of the pandemic. Mm. And, and as a result, I think what you've had is a high degree of experimentation. Uh, a number of sort of myths have been busted around how easy it is or otherwise to remote work or what the benefits or benefits of remote work might be, etc. And we're now starting to get beyond that and start to evaluate, okay, now we've adopted remote, whether fully or partially. Um, you know, how, how does that actually work for us as an organisation, as individuals? All that evaluative evaluation that's been undertaken is starting to be assembled as a, a, as a proof base or an evidence base for the next move. And I think we're not quite there in the next move yet, but I think what we're likely to see over the next three to six years off the back of all that uh, uh, experimentation and evaluation is an evolution product. You know, if you look at leasing volumes around the world, they've improved. They, you know, from, from a very low base after pandemic stopped everything. Uh, they're improving, there's a flight to quality, there are occupiers recognising that they need to seize the best quality product. But I think there are a lot of occupiers on the side saying, actually, let's you know, buy time, let's evaluate, let's really think through our future need. And then when we get a break or expiry, then let's use that event to actually drive that evolution of our products and, and, and our real estate. So I, at the moment, it feels a subdued is the wrong word. There's activity, but I think we are seeing a more considered demand profile coming through into market. Your occupiers are much more clear about what they want and why, mm. and they've got evidence to back it up. Mm. And I think that's going to bring to a, a really uh, meaningful strand of, of demand into the marketplace globally. I think locally, then we're not quite sure what the future is going to hold. Right. Um, and, it, and it's interesting there was. There's some suggestion that, you know, hybrid working, we're still working out, you know, what works for us, works for our people, um, how we manage, you know, the office component and, and creating, um, uh, I guess, purposeful um, in-person activities. So that, that point about creating um, or forcing those, um, those events. Um, but it's still very much, um, you know, there's a hesitance to commit to a smaller footprint or to, um, you know, this, this hybrid model because circumstance might change. And that to me suggests, well, well, actually you need to start building some resilience, not only within your portfolio, but your people, um, processes and policies to enable you to flex over time because this is the first perhaps of many events that will see your business having to shift. Absolutely. Um, and, and, and double turn. So, do you think that's happening widespread? That there's there's still some yeah, I, I think to commit. I, I and I understand this fully, but I think most of it is you know, occupiers to move at the moment is quite a brave call. You know, you're, you're stepping into the unknown, and I think occupiers will try and wait until there's a clearer set of signals and clearer evidence base of what works or what doesn't work. The problem with that is the evidence base will be generic. 
it'll be across the whole market and it won't be specific to organisations. So this is my point about evaluation. I think the best in class real estate teams at the moment within the occupational world are the ones that are actually really profiling their people, how they've worked, how they want to work, and starting to bring that into the conversation about workplace, but also therefore the conversation about what real estate they need going forward. And, and as a result, I think you get a much better fit uh, in terms of the solution, rather than just going to the open market and buying a generic solution based off generic assumptions. That's a much more complex set of dynamics, and it requires bravery to take that step you know, when you press the button. Uh, that's why I think structural demand is going to be at the forefront. You know, I think brakes expires will force people's hands. Some will feel uncomfortable about that because the signals won't be there yeah. and they'll have to make that jump. But I think over time we'll get a much more considered profile of demand from the large buyers as a consequence. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and arguably an acceptance that um, that, that sort of that, that constant is uh, is not there. Yeah. That actually we're, we're building some um, uh, that appetite for change within our workforce um, and then everything that we do. Well, you know, what's been really interesting to talk about is great global workplace experiment. The presentations I've given over the last couple of days, that's sort of my first slide to set some context. Mm -hmm. And in talking about that with people, they sort of seem to think, oh, yeah, we're nearly through this ex ex experiment, right? We're, you know, we have some return to, uh, you know, I hate the phrase, but new normal. Mm -hmm. um, I think new normal is ever, ever changeable. You know, we're just going to have to get used to uh, changing environment and to your point to have flexibility to have resilience to adapt to that world um, but without having to constantly change your footprint or change your, your furniture or, or any of that it's going to be really important. Mm. Well, it's a good point about furniture because you know that it's, it's a big expense you know it's um, looking at, at, at profiles and the space needs of, of our people um, it's a big expense to then go and buy furniture settings um, you know um, these phone booths so they, they are expensive so so the move map now more towards you know hiring and leasing of those types of spaces so that you can change them um, over time another aspect of, of keeping some level of interest to your space and, and people coming in and being able to see yeah, I mean, it creates a, and innovative. creates a vibrancy doesn't it enables you to actually uh, change things a little bit more freely um, I think people creatures of habit, right? So eventually you'll you'll actually suppress some of the vibrancy in the space if it, if it doesn't get curated and modified occasionally. Uh, the sort of solutions you're talking about, I think, uh, enable that. Uh, you know, it's another use case for them, if you like. Yeah. And look, something something that we have, um, or I have certainly observed over over time. I mean, Australia's been been very um, very well versed in activity based working for quite some time, and, um, and and that's really great. But what what I've noticed is that you know there is that there is that lack of understanding or appreciation around how some of those spaces are, are or should be used. And so there has been some negativity towards the success or overall success of those, those types of spaces. So I think there's going to be, and there is now, an argument not only to help managers and leaders manage remotely or a remote or diverse um, workforce, but also coming back to the grassroots around what it is that we're expecting you to do in a particular place. Yeah, and you've made that point on a, a number of the sort of presentations we've done this week. I think it's a really fantastic point, not one I've actually thought of before I arrived in Australia. So, so thanks for the education. Yeah. But you know what, what I what I think is really sort of fascinating about that point that you make is you know, re-educating people and, and helping them make the best productive use of the spaces that are provided. It feels a bit mother than apple pie, but actually I think it's really, really quite important to 
as part of change management. Um, and I think a lot of organisations have sort of uh, uh, forgotten that. Um, I've always said that workplace, in my experience, in, in previous lives particularly, workplace is something that sort of gets done to people. Workplace change, yeah, it's sort of something that's sort of delivered. Yeah. There's no user manual, there's no, and, and maybe people think that's a bit trite to sort of try and tell people how to use the space, but I think it's, it's, it's how you get productivity, it's how you get the best out of your people, out of your organisation, and there should be much more attention on that. Um, and I'm, I'm not seeing it outside of, uh, of your marketplace, I think it's something we should really be thinking about. Well, I think we, arguably we take it for granted that, you know, we're, we have some exceptional brains within our organisations and, and we don't want to dumb down the fact that they don't know how to use or, or what sort of tasks we use in a meeting room, for example, and that's changing, you know, the purpose of a meeting room and how we do business. Um, but, but, you know, as a real estate professional, as a, you know, as a workplace consultant, it's our job to educate um, people, even though they are educated in their world, yeah. um, how to use these spaces and how to make the most of those, and, and, and also how to use the technology to maximise your time, your, your commitment, um, and to... Well, I think also the other point there, of course, is that if somebody's not using the space in the way it was intended, that impacts on other people in the building. Absolutely. You know, and you get a bit of a domino effect. So, you know, I, I think it's, a really, it's been a really interesting point to to have heard and observed over the course of the last couple of days. Mm. Something I'll be thinking a lot more about. Please do. Thanks so much, Lee. Before you go, subscribe to our channel so you don't miss out on the next episode of The Property Perspective, when we'll be back to share our take on more key trends and topics shaping Australia's property market. You can also follow us on LinkedIn or visit our website at nightfrank.com.au for more information. Thanks for tuning in. It may be the end of the show, but we're always your partners in property. 